Welcome to the Betrayal Trauma SOS Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brockbank, and I share my own experiences so that others can find their own recovery fit. Today, we are discussing something near and dear to my heart, and that's how to raise children who are resistant to becoming addicted to pornography. Let's heal together. So glad that you're here. Thank you for joining me as we learn together. Please know that this isn't therapy and I'm not a therapist. I highly recommend obtaining qualified professional assistance for your situation. Note that I source everything that I use and those sources can be found by scrolling to the bottom of each episode description and on my website, BetrayalTraumaSOS.com. Last week, someone asked a question that I loved so much that I decided to make an entire episode about it. And it was this, quote, Hi, Jenny, I have a question for you. How do you raise sex addiction resistant children? I think about having kids and I worry about them suffering from the same demons that my husband does. I worry about them picking up not safe emotional habits as well. End quote. This is such a great question, and to be honest, it's one that I wrestle with as well. And I'll share what I know and what I've learned, but just know that I'm on the path too and am open to learning more. I think the first thing that I want to share is something that that we all kind of know, but until it happens to us, we don't really know it in our hearts. And that is that our children will see porn at some point. And I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I thought I'd tell you about an experience with one of my children. And um, when my son was four, we went to the grocery store. And you know when you're checking out and you've got all of the magazines lined up? Well, at the very bottom was a very inappropriate magazine. Probably shouldn't have been there to begin with, and it should have had a cover on it. Well, I, I didn't see it. I didn't pay attention. It was at the very bottom. And my little four-year-old, it's kind of comical to think about now, but he picked up that magazine and he showed it to everybody in the line and he he yelled, don't look, mom, don't look right here. And it was so funny because he was holding it up and showing everybody in the line, including me, um, but he, w- he wouldn't actually hand it to me. <laughs> and I kind of had to to wrestle him to get that magazine out of his hands. And, and he'd be like, don't look. And then he'd be peeking over at it. And it was, it was a really funny experience and yet uh, telling, right? And sometimes we just don't really have control. And we think, I can do everything possible. I can put on all the filters. Or some parents might not have technology or... Or whatever, and we think we're going to control this. But in truth, we can't. I can't tell you how many experiences I've heard personally of boys finding like boxes of magazines in the woods. How in the world are you going to stop that? And the truth is, we can't. So, what we have to do is then help them to understand what to do when it happens, not if, when. Something else that I really love about the question was she used the word resistant. And if you think about a watch, let's think about a watch that is waterproof versus water resistant. And waterproof watches, depending on on how proof they are, you can dive pretty deep with them. You can have them on. Water resistant, water can still get in. They can get ruined and that can happen. And, And the thing that we have to realize as parents 
is we can do all the things and we cannot actually control what happens in the end. It's resistant. We do our best to help them to have resistance. But in the end, they have their own choices. And we might not approve. Or we might approve. <laughs> Who knows? But it is their life. And to be able to give that to them and to re recognize that control isn't really always within our capability. This is a really important concept for me to understand personally because when my children might make a mistake, and they, they do, they inevitably do, because I do, we're all human, we make mistakes, um, then I can look at it and say, this is their journey. And it's not necessarily a reflection of me as a parent, but I think that as parents, it's so easy to look and say, oh my goodness, my child did this, and this is my fault. And sometimes we can look and say, okay, I could have trained better or, or taught something better. But so often, it really is just human nature for us to make mistakes. And that's part of how we learn and grow. It's also part of the grace of God to be able to recover from such mistakes and things. Why that matters is because when we as parents get into something and we see our children doing something we might feel shame, shameful or even shameless. And, but if shame is in the mix at all, then we will likely respond improperly. At least for me, when I have taken ownership for what my children have done, there are issues. I don't respond very well. I might be defensive or, or maybe um, shame them about something. And none of these are helpful tactics to use when helping our children face these hard, hard things. Something else that's been critical for me in understanding my responses, whether they be healthy or unhealthy, is to know my value and the value of the person I'm addressing. So in this case, it would be my child. And so to really have a down deep just firm bedrock understanding of their worth is, is really critical. In a talk titled A Sin-Resistant Generation by Joy D. Jones, she talks about this concept when she says, quote, We must understand our and their divine identity and purpose before we can help our children see who they are and why they are here. We must help them know without question that they are sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father and that He has divine expectations of them. Close quote. As I think about my own relationship with Heavenly Father, with God, whoever your higher power is, I have never, ever, ever felt shamed by Him. Never, not once. Shame seems to be something that we as humans put into the equation. Sometimes I've felt guilty or I've felt prompted to change something. But he is so gentle about the way he does this. And that is the kind of parenting that I really aim to mimic. So the question is, why? Why don't we want our children to be affected by porn? Why don't we want them to consume that? I'll start with my own personal experience on this and why I feel very strongly about it personally, what I have seen. And that is, I believe that my husband, since he was affected by it from such an early age, that it became this pattern, this habitual thing of what could fix his problems, so to speak. Not really, of course, but, but that's the concept. And the younger that happens, the more the brain turns to it instinctively. At least that's been the case for my husband. I also like what Donald Hilton says. He's a neurosurgeon, and he says, quote, 
Our brain cells change with learning. Addictive learning sculpts the brain in a very damaging way, and we can become very set in certain behaviors and tastes. When there is a reward like pornography, that's a specially powerful printing process. The brain doesn't forget that. A 12-year-old who sees hardcore porn is going to say, wow, that was amazing. Sometimes children may be frightened, but the fascination overcomes the fright eventually. One thing our brain wants is novelty, change. It wants a different face, a different body shape. Boys and increasingly girls are struggling with porn. They literally surf for hours, looking for the perfect clip to masturbate to. There is a lot of scientific evidence that sex can, and in particular internet porn, be addictive. It's like a blackjack game. It's a different set of cards every time. Close quote. I think it would be helpful to revisit the idea of Rat Park. And Rat Park stems, for me at least, from a talk by Johan Hari. And it's a TED Talk. It's an excellent, excellent talk on addiction. And he talks about a couple of different experiments. And the first experiment was with a single rat in a cage who was offered two types of drinks. And one was just plain water, and the other one was drug-laced water. In the setting, the rat almost always preferred the drug-laced water and almost always killed itself rather quickly. Well, a researcher noticed that this was happening and thought, well, that's not a very good experiment because the rat has nothing else to do. And so he created Rat Park. And Rat Park had lots of tunnels and lots of cheese and lots and lots of other mice. It also had the two drink choices, water or drug-laced water. And in this case, they did not prefer in general the drug-laced water, and none of them used it habitually. And what I've learned from this and also have seen with my husband is that addiction is really a connection issue. As I was discussing this with my husband this morning, he said, quote, isolation drives addiction, close quote. So the trick is then, how do we make it safe for our children to share their feelings in our home? Because certainly this is the root of how they can connect. I'm a work in progress in this area. I once expected my children to really be tough, to be strong, and I expected of that myself also, and I modeled it. So if that fits you as well, just know that you aren't alone, you're in good company, and I really think that we can learn new tactics and be brave enough to face ourselves in the mirror and say, what we've got going isn't working. And it's easy to see that it's not working because I am telling you that anytime I've had a, a conversation with someone about addiction and they're being open and honest and vulnerable with me, I hear a me too. And not necessarily the same addiction, but addiction seems to touch or affect or influence every home. So I'm going to tell you a couple of personal experiences. And one is my son when he had gotten hurt. And we were getting into our van at the time. We had a van and he was getting in. And I can't remember how exactly, but he, he got hurt as he got into the van. And I saw exquisite pain on his face. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry what happened. And I looked at his face and instantly the anguish that I saw disappeared. And he just gave me the straightest face. 
And I looked at him and I said, oh, wow, I taught you that. I modeled that. And I just want you to know that it is okay to hurt and it is okay to be in pain. And I am truly sorry that I modeled that for you. However, as we've been practicing these things and doing better with this same son, I had a real victory the other day. And I had invited my children that if they would do their chores, they could come and sit on my bed and I would put a movie on for them. I was surprised to see my son who was, he's usually the first done with his chores and he was this day and he came into our room really upset and um, he said, mom, I don't think I want to watch a movie with you. And I said, wow, I appreciate you telling me that. How come? And he said, well, you've been really grouchy. And this might sound to some like a failure, but to me it was a huge victory because my son was talking to me, telling me his feelings, and somehow I had made it safe enough for him to voice that. And so I did. I validated what he'd said. I said, you know, I have been grouchy. I appreciate you telling me, and I love you, and I will work on that grouchiness. As I thought about what my husband and I learned and implemented, I thought there are basically four main things that we have done to improve this in our home. And the first is this, is to allow them to have their feelings. Maybe just look internally, and maybe this isn't your issue, but it certainly has been mine, that if they're angry or there's any kind of a negative emotion, I was right in there trying to fix that and trying to help them to overcome that feeling. However, what I've come to learn is because this is how it is for me as well, is that it's not the best idea to just go in and fix it. We have to allow them to have their feelings. Where I really saw this modeled beautifully was from my dear friend Katie Willis. It seemed to me that what she was doing was magic. I'd never seen it from anybody else. I had never seen that kind of emotional safety exemplified in such a way. This is a quote from Katie regarding that. She says, quote, When I finally learned that each one of us has the right to feel and that we can validate the other person without also having to validate the drama, the distortions, the story, it has completely changed the way I approach others. Close quote. As I've internalized and practiced the same concept in my own life, I'll let you know a personal example of what that looked like recently. I had been talking to my daughter who had a very different perspective on on some things that had happened in our family. And as I listened to her, I was a little shocked and little, at first I felt maybe a little defensive at what she was saying, thinking, wow, that's not true. <laughs> but I decided I'm going to use my tools here. And what I did was listen intently to what she had to say. And I validated her emotions. I'm like, wow, that that was hard. I can see that that was really hard. And I felt that way as well. And I normalized what she was going through. And then though, I did add this. I said, you know, for me, I really didn't see it that way. That's not how it looked to me. But I can validate that your emotions are real. The other thing besides validating emotions is to normalize emotions. And we hit on this just a little bit just a minute ago. But when we normalize emotions, it's like, oh, yeah, I felt that way, too. There is great power in a me, too. 
even for me, as my friends or, or people I'm associating with, if, if they can relate in some way and, and say some kind of a me too, it improves the safety dramatically. And the fourth thing that I want to address that we've tried to do is to offer support without trying to fix it. That can be a little tricky, but it might look something like, after validating emotions, to ask my children, oh, wow, what do you need? How can I support you? It can be really tempting to jump in and say, hey, here's your list of this would help and this would help and this would help and this would help. And if my child is asking, if they're asking for for questions and ideas, then I can offer them. Or sometimes I might say, would you like a suggestion of what would help? And they have the option to say no. And I can say, all right, then I won't share. And I totally respect that. Something else that's really critical as we're learning to do this and learning to create safety is to create safety around the subject of sex and sexuality and bodies and and what our bodies do. Of course, this is incredibly personal and per family, and so I don't feel like it's my place to tell people what to teach your children, but I'll share what we are working on. How do you talk to children about sex and about intimacy and appropriate relations and things like that, I would say the first thing is take the shame out. And I want to share a story first of what not to do. (laughs) I've heard this going around and actually this happened to me. And I think people have the very, 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 very best of intentions. So I'm not saying this to shame anyone. In fact, I'm just using it as an example so that we keep shame out. But when somebody taught me about sex and intimacy, they took me out to dinner and they took a piece of gum and they chewed up that gum with all these little pieces of food in it. And they said, here, do you want to be like this? Do you want to chew this gum? And if this is something that you've done, just know you aren't alone, that it is still going around. Um, But to me, it is not doctrinally correct. And I believe in Jesus Christ. People might believe in a different God, but the God that I believe in does not shame people. In fact, he restores people. And the concept that people are used goods is really an inappropriate one. What it teaches people is that they're damaged goods and that they can't be restored. And this is simply not correct. Another way that I've heard of people shaming is by smashing electronics. And I want to say that like, I've seen the movie Fireproof. I don't know if you've, you've all seen that, but I personally love when Kirk Cameron gets this look on his face like, I am not going to let porn destroy my life anymore, and he goes out with purpose and he destroys his computer. He beats it with a, a baseball bat, I think. It's pretty powerful to me. Um, that's a little different than a parent or, or someone angrily smashing an electronic device. The second thing for us has been to talk frequently. You know, these big, long, single conversations are awkward. They're hard for everybody, and they don't normalize it. It's like, oh, no, we're dreading this conversation. It was really fun recently to have a conversation just normal and natural that our children brought up regarding sex. We were all just in our kitchen, and they were asking questions, and we were just talking. Being really open and honest is very important to us because so often the subject of sex is just taboo. While everybody 
has sexuality and God created all of us with this beautiful thing that actually can bring us closer to God. So the more that we can talk about it, the more frequently, um, the more naturally for us has proven to be better. I think it's also important to talk about sex in age-appropriate ways. Our children's age ranges are from 5 to 17, and we have six children. So we have many different ages to kind of cater to. So we've, we've been learning a lot about what to do that way. Recently, I purchased a book that I really love. It's called God Made All of Me. And I love this book because it talks about appropriate touches and inappropriate touches. Um, something that I've heard other people use and that I really love about this book is that it talks about what is under your bathing suit, something that your bathing suit would cover. Those parts of our bodies aren't to be shared. And as my husband and I were reading this to our children the other day, we mentioned as well that those parts of your body can be shared eventually. In our family, what we teach our children is that those things absolutely can be enjoyed um, when you get married. So people can have their own opinions on that. That's what we strongly believe and teach our family. Additionally, it's not enough just to talk about sex. We've come to see that it's important to also talk specifically about pornography. For this one, I really, really love a video that's put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about this. Very kid-appropriate, and I'll, of course, add that to the sources. But it's, it's very well done. Another one in regards to this is a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And they also have, they have an older version and a junior version. I think this book is really tastefully done. And I'll share with you the five safety rules in it. First one is, if someone tries to show you bad pictures or videos, look away. Remember to turn, run, and tell. Number two, if you ever see a bad picture or video, never show it to another child. Number three, no one should ever take pictures or videos of you without your clothes on. If someone ever tries to do that, tell your mom or dad or a trusted adult right away. Number four, never take pictures or videos of yourself without clothes on. And number five, if you see a bad picture or video and it keeps popping up in your mind, go and tell mom or dad or a trusted adult. Say, I need your help to make a bad picture go away. Close quote. For our family, we've kind of combined some things that seem to work for us. And that is this, that if a child sees pornography, to one, name it, two, crash it. So that means like if it's a computer, to turn it off. To three, tell someone. And to four, recognize that no matter how it made you feel, you are not bad. So what do you do when your child tells you that they've seen porn? This can be a really hard and scary thing to maneuver, but I want to just say that if your child trusted you with that, kudos to you. You are doing something amazing in creating safety in your family. One of the first things to know is that there are many, many levels of porn use, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are struggling with addiction. Of course, it doesn't mean that there's not an addiction. The trick is to stay curious. If one of my children comes to me and says that they have seen pornography or they've engaged in any kind of behavior that maybe they're feeling ashamed of, these are the guidelines for my responses. To first, validate them as brave and that that was a hard thing to do and to thank them for having the courage to come and talk to me. And the next thing is 
to normalize the emotions and desires, but not the actions. Kind of goes back to the quote from Katie Willis, is that we can say, well, I can see why you would be drawn to that. It's normal to feel that way. And the third thing I do is to teach correct principles and do my very best to do it without shame. And I will say that with with some children, if they're older and they know these principles already, that to teach them might be a shaming thing in and of itself. So if I've already taught it, they already know it, it's already internalized, they're standing before me, you know, feeling a lot of guilt or shame or something, that it would not be a good fit at that moment to teach because I've already taught and they already know. The fourth thing I would do is see what kind of support they need. And perhaps coming to talk to me was absolutely enough. But maybe they do need more. Maybe they need therapy or maybe to speak to an ecclesiastical leader. Or maybe they need some kind of family support. Maybe somebody who's been through something similar that they could relate with that I could help them get in touch with. And then the fifth thing is to love, love, love unconditionally. This is my child. I adore them. God adores me no matter what. And I want to show my children that kind of love in return. I love and appreciate that you have joined me today. Thank you for being here. It's helped me to evaluate and to re-examine some of the things that we've used in regards to teaching our children about sexuality and pornography. Next week, I'm excited to discuss how to help a loved one with a sex addiction. I welcome you to join me for that. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to subscribe so we can continue to heal together. Betrayal Trauma SOS can be found on Instagram, Facebook, some things are on YouTube, and at BetrayalTraumaSOS.com. Let's heal together.